With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. week's second edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and joining me for episode 111 is Steve Sippa. Steve, this week the Mets announced several new concessions at City Field for the 2015 season, including stuff from Chef Josh Capone, Rouse, and even more varieties of bacon on a stick, if that's the sort of thing you're into. So if you could add one concession to the City Field lineup, what would it be? Well, being as that I'm very much a traditionalist when it comes to ballpark fare, um, I'm going to go with something that we were talking about earlier, camel milk from Trader Joe's. <laughs> camel milk. I read about some, I think, uh, Ian Miller from Productive Outs posted something about a restaurant in Oakland that was selling it for like nineteen ninety nine a bottle or something. Well, given the difficulty that it probably is to milk a camel, that probably is a fair price. I am also a traditionalist when it comes to ballpark food. Um, and, I mean, not that I probably won't try some of these new 
selections, including anything with like short rib and telegio on bread, I'm probably going to eat at some point. But my main hope is that it will perhaps shorten the line at Shake Shack at least mm-hmm. a little bit. Because when you know, who doesn't love Shake Shack? But who actually likes the lines at Shake Shack at City Field? I can't but, say I've ever really had a problem with the line, which is I guess extremely lucky on my on my, my part. <clears throat> but I would set up a stand that would only do Shake Shack Chicago Dogs. Because I love <laughs> Chicago Dogs, and I love Shake Shack. When I stand through the sh- and suffer through the Shake Shack line, and I get to the end of it, I can't just bring my... I have to have a, sh- a Shack Burger at that point. But if they made a stand with just the Chicago Dogs, that would theoretically have a shorter line, I'd be all over that. I'm surprised that they don't have some kind of express line with just the shakes or fries, maybe something. You would hope. I figured, I'm sure you have figured out there that I would have gone for some sort of, like, cocktail oh, of course. stand. And I'm not going to lie, I'm drinking a Negroni right now, the first of the spring for me. I decided it was Negroni weather, so I also really didn't have gin and Campari, so I had to go out and buy those. And discovered that my local uh, liquor store now has... I've started to see left-hand brewing stuff slowly trickle into the state, and now my local place has like all the varieties, so I'm very happy about that. And a little lighter in the wallet. But I just can't like go to a baseball game. If I'm going to a baseball game and having a drink, it's got to be like a beer. You know, like a, like a clean lager or an ESB, or I mean, I guess like even a session IPA, if that's if that's more your jam. I just can't see like drinking a Manhattan at a baseball game. <laughs> Maybe because I drink Manhattans everywhere else. Got to keep business and pleasure separate. This is episode one hundred and eleven of Amazing Avenue Audio. Naturally, the hashtag Sandy's Mass Edition. As we catch up to two thousand eleven, we're gonna run out of years soon, so I might as well just keep titling them until we get to like the Mercury Mets in episode one hundred and forty or whatever. Hmm. There's not a ton to talk about. This is like an old school one. So there's not a ton to talk about. It's going to be two hours long, and I'm going to eat throughout the entire podcast because I just got off work. So we're definitely kicking it old school for episode 111. But we will talk about uh, Dylan G being named the fifth starter. Though he hasn't been officially named the fifth starter, he's been kind of named the fifth starter. Or Rafael Montero. We'll talk about the Juan Ligares contract extension that was officially announced earlier this week. And we'll answer your emails. And there's a lot of emails. So... That's why it's going to be a two-hour podcast. I'm sure most of you aren't complaining because you're still listening to us 111 episodes in. So kudos to you. We will kick things off with the discussion of the Mets' fifth starter situation. Uh, second game in Atlanta. Looks like Dylan G will be taking the ball. Though I, as of right now, I don't think there's been an official announcement, which is kind of weird. And uh, both uh, Montero and G pitched pretty well this spring, and Montero was always going to have an an uphill climb since G was the more established arm and a guy the Mets still might want to conceivably showcase for a trade. So, Steve, is this something Mets fans should be upset about? Is this the right decision? Does it really matter? I don't see any reason why anyone should be upset about it. I mean, if you're a real diehard Montero fan, you could be disappointed. But, I mean, G has shown in the past he's a perfectly cromulent fifth starter. And, you know, that that a lot could happen in the season, and he might not even be around for very much longer. So 
if we could showcase him or something like that, get him a couple of more starts, maybe that sways some minds, I'm all for it. There's nothing really going to... You're not going to see a, a major in between G and Montero a couple of starts in the beginning of the season. The argument for you know, Danny Mano over Matt Reynolds, so it looks like Daniel Murphy will be ready for opening day. You know, sort of any three- or four-week thing, if you don't think G is going to be long-term, it's just not a big deal. I do have, I guess... And I agree with you on your face. It's not going to make or break the Mets season, really. But it does sort of fall in line with their consistent refusal to just play the potentially better player in a season where they're going to need some things to break right if they want to be uh, competitive come you know, September 1st, October 1st, and so on. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go after that first. And I've, you know, I've, I don't say I've soured on Montero. You know, as you see him at higher levels, you saw his struggles last year with control and in Vegas and in the majors, you sort of, you know, downgrade the ceiling a little bit, certainly. But it looks like at least, you know, as much stock as you want to put in spring training innings, I don't. But it did look like the command and control were back to where I saw him in 2013. And that's his calling card. And that makes him, the fact that he showed you that against major league hitters of various stripes, I think is valuable information when sort of evaluating who you want to go forward with. And that gives him, you know, maybe a little more upside than G this year. Again, it's not like a Syndergaard versus G or a Mass versus G situation, as we talked about on the uh, podcast at length previously. But coupled with the fact that they're going to move him to the pen now, in all likelihood, and Trey Collins has said he might use him in late innings, so short relief type situations... You know, if G makes six starts for this team and it's May 15th and Montero's pitching well in the pen, I don't think it'll be an issue necessarily moving him uh, out of the pen, per se, though Syndergaard and Mats may have jumped the line at that point. But there's something to, you know, keeping a starter a starter, keeping him stretched out if you plan on using him as your sixth starter. Um, this will be his first sort of extended pen stay. So you can move him back and forth. You can stretch him out a little bit once you decide you want him as a starting pitcher. But, you know, those kind of things can be a contributing factor to arm issues, performance issues for pitchers. You know, pitchers like defined roles. Arms like defined roles. And moving Montero, having stretched him out as a starter this spring, then moving him back into short relief and then back into the starting rotation at some point, indeterminate point in the future, you know, it's maybe nothing, but it is a risk factor, I think. So if you think he's going to be the next guy up anyway, and you don't want to use him over G at this point, maybe you send him a AAA. They have a bit of, I don't want to say an embarrassment of riches, but they have other options in the bullpen now from the right side. I don't agree with Montero going in the pen. <clears throat> I'd much rather just see him just stick him in AAA and let him do his thing down there and call him up if need be. But thinking about it, he, his, his you know his stuff is so-so, but it would a move to the pen would you know emphasize his strengths. I mean, I saw him when I saw him in the Futures game two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was. He was he was hitting consistently 94, 95 on the gun. When normally he's a little bit, you know, his velocity is a little bit lower than that. So uh, I just don't agree with moving him to the pen. Just 
because of the simple fact that we know that he's a starter and he can succeed in theory as a starter. And I don't want to see, you know, any kind of transition until we know that he can succeed as a starter. But if eventually he has moved into the pen on a more permanent basis, thinking about it really, it, it could be good for him, you know? I'm a little bit on the fence on that. I do think you will see a a tick up in the fastball velocity in, in, in short bursts, but there's not sort of that clear, you know, second out pitch. The changeup's a little better than the slider, but neither's great. I don't see either of them being super effective in that sort of one-inning role. I mean, he might just get the normal starting-to-relief bump there and not much beyond that, but it's entirely possible that his long-term future is in the pen just because of the depth of Mets pitching, but by the same token, we've seen some serious attrition in Mets pitching over the last 18, 24 months. And he's, you know, he takes the ball every fifth day for the most part throughout his minor league career. I know it's not a big power pitcher's frame. He's he's a short right-hander and he's fairly slight build and there's a little effort in the mechanics. But, you know, he's been healthy. He had like, I think, a hip or a, a back oblique type issue at Vegas last year. But other than that, he pretty much taken the ball every fifth day. He can work deep into starts. You know, even in the minors was throwing... I think he threw 100 pitches a couple times in Savannah. So while it's not a traditional workhorse profile, I think there's value in the innings he can potentially give you. A triple-A rotation of Syndergaard, Mats, Montero, Bowman, and maybe Fulmer or Yanoa is a pretty damn good rotation. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess we'll talk briefly about the minor league. Um rosters that are starting to come out. I mean, that was my plan for the live show next week, was really do a full minor league preview, but I'm cranking up about the A-ball rosters, and we'll at least touch on it probably later in the show. But again, I think it's sort of a thing where, you know, you touched on the idea that the difference between Virginia and Montero for six weeks, you know, somewhere between two and six weeks isn't significant. I think the same thing's true in the pen between, say, Buddy Carlisle and Montero. Now, they may end up carrying Carlisle anyway. They're talking about 12 hitters, 13 pitchers, which is an anathema to me, but <laughs> it might be something that happens, and I guess this would be the roster to do it with if you're not going to be... If, you know, if, if your 13th hitter is going to be Eric Campbell, eh, maybe you can carry Buddy Carlisle instead, but that would probably be a short-term thing anyway. So they have a little bit of a roster crunch, but they also have some flexibility positionally. You know, guys like... Maybe Ray and Kadir can both play infield and outfield. I guess they're, um, you know, Tejada can play short and second. Murphy could play third or first in a pinch. They've got a couple of guys, you know, Granderson's experience in center, certainly new in heist. You know, they can cover all their bases, at least in the short term. As much as I hate carrying 13 pitchers, just to basically carry Sean Gilmartin, who's a marginal rule five guy, you could probably throw cash considerations at the Twins at this point, and he'd clear waivers, so and that would solve their problem. They could just option him in AAA after that. But that does not seem to be in their plans. They're going to carry him as a third lefty slash long man, which is weird, but it is what it is. It just, it's just a weird feeling to me. I wish... And I know there's only so much you can do because of service time. We really want to talk about you know, maximizing every roster spot. You know, maybe... Matt is a lefty in the pen, and Syndergaard's in the starting rotation, and you know Matt Reynolds is your utility guy over Tejada, and now you can't do all that. But 
it just seems this spring like they've erred on the side of really fringier dudes over potential upside, which works fine if this was like a median 87 win team, but less if it's a median 83 win team. So I don't know, I just, I don't feel like they're going for it in a weird way, as much as they should given their, you know, other constraints, let's put it that way. I think that the team is still in the same kind of holding pattern they've been in for the last two or three years, where they're not really a bad team, but they're not really a good team, so they don't really know which direction to move in. And now we're slightly closer to being good than being bad, but we're still not really over that hump. And so you'll have a lot of, you know, hesitation and strange moves like we're discussing. I think a move we can all agree is good is the Mets extending Juan Lagares through, uh, well, officially through 2019, the team option for his first free agent year in 2020. I'm going to be 38. That makes me feel old. I mean, everything about baseball recently makes me feel old. You know, reading BA, uh, international scouting reports makes me feel much older than that, so... As soon as players start debuting in the major leagues that are younger than me, it was, I'm done. It's over. I am, uh, we're both actually significantly younger than the Mets opening day starter, at least. We have that. We have that going for us. But we'll cover his uh, four, what would have been his next uh, four arbitration years, 2016 through 2019, with the team option for $9.5 million for 2020 and a $500,000 buyout making it you know, either a four-year, $23.5 million contract or a five-year, $32.5 million contract. Um, so with the caveat that I don't think Juan Lagares is a 40-run defender in center field and there's still some risk in the bat, this is a pretty good deal, Steve. Absolutely. I was actually a couple of hours ago playing around with a basic wins above replacement calculator, and I just wanted to see how bad... Uh, Lagares would have to be and still get decent value out of him. So if he got on base at a 250 clip, slugs about 400, um, with slightly above average defense, uh, he would be worth about 1.3 wins above replacement, which is... Welcome to 2015 baseball, everyone. <laughs> yeah, which is about the this is about the value of you know his most expensive year, you know about 9.5 million in that last year. Odds are he's going to get on base at a slightly higher rate than 250 and odds are he's going to play slightly better defense than just above average so i think that we will be recouping a lot of value there now, i'm going to get this on the record now i do think there's still some upside in the bat there like from the mets point of view there was a decent chance like he's going to win a couple more gold gloves you know, regardless of whether sort of defensive metrics come into play more in arbitration than they do now, which I'm, I'm sure is very little, a very limited extent. You know, gold gloves m- mean something in terms of in context, you know, in terms of comparable players, which is what arbitration's about for the most part. There was a pretty good chance he won a couple gold gloves, and somewhere along the line, just sort of babbit his way into a, a 300 season at the top of some Mets lineup where that would get him 100 runs scored, 25 to 30 steals, and that would spike the ARB award way above even what the free agent option here is. So from the Mets' point of view, getting that cost certainty makes sense. It's I've compared sort of the John Neese extension, where if he doesn't get any better than he is now, they're still going to make out okay, and if he does get better, you get all sort of, it's a buzzword, but you get all that surplus value on the 
on the contract. Now you have there's some risk there. Um, you know you end up paying a fourth outfielder pretty good arbitration awards. He could get hurt. He has gotten injured in the past. You kind of want to see him play a full season in the next couple years. But there's just very little downside risk, even for a team with the Mets financial restrictions on a, you know, guaranteeing $23.5 million. Um, I will say, this is the kind of stuff that, I don't, it's, I mean, I'm sure Ligaris is happy with the deal, but there's a reason they're looking to sign Ligaris and Duda over, you know, Harvey and Wheeler to extensions, because you know, Ligaris, I think he was a low six-figure guy, but that was, at this point, nine years ago. You know, there's the, the Mets hold all the cards here in terms of determining his, his future earnings, so they, you know, certainly take advantage of this. We're having a lot of conversations about service time, and, you know, around Chris Bryant, and, and things like that, and how teams are trying to, you know, exploit the CBA to save them money on the back end that's sort of like just accepted you know sabermetric analytical orthodoxy that you should do that and look you know Juan Ligar's 23 and a half million dollars is more than I'm going to see in my lifetime so I don't want to you know overly chastise the the Mets it's not like they are being particularly exploitative but it just you know this is a guy this is basically going to be his one contract this could carry him through his age you know 31 season and those skills might age well enough that it'll get something on the back end, too. But it's just a little... It, it's just weird to me to sort of root for surplus value, I guess. Well, it's one of those situations where you, on one hand, you root for your team, and you want what's best for the team. And in this case, what's best for the team is financial flexibility and, and keeping, you know, whatever. And then, on the other hand, you want to root for Lagaris as a person, and you want him to make as much money as he possibly can and get every last dime out of those goddamn Wilpons. And it's, uh, it's a great, it's a great story. It's a very Omar story. Uh, we were talking about it on Twitter today, sort of relative to the very aggressive assignments to St. Lucie of some of the Mets' younger prospects. But nothing is as aggressive as Ligaris debuting in the Dominican at 17 and then getting sent to the Sally League at 18. And then Unsurprisingly, spending parts of the next three seasons in the South Atlantic League. Most of which he was a shortstop for. Uh, and he's turned himself into the best center fielder in baseball. I will say I celebrated this contract extension by searching for uh, Juan Ligaris catch and Juan Ligaris throw on MLB uh, videos and just watching all the highlights. And they're all great. I mean, he honestly, outside of this is, I'm trying to think, and this is something very difficult for me to potentially admit, but he might be, for his position, a better defender than even Ray Ardoniz. Uh, it's kind of hard to compare. You're doing two different things at shortstop and center field. Very different skill sets. Um, and Ardoniz... I would have no problem saying that he is the Ray Ordonez of center field. Yeah, I mean, Ordonez was just so... Spect- not that Lagarde's going to make spectacular plays, but he does suffer from a little bit of, I think, Beltranitis, where he, he, he just he makes it look so easy. Right. I hope he's playing shallow and shaded to left field and get to the right center warning track and just catch the ball in stride, shoulder high. Well, sort of the the nature of Ordonez's position is he was going to... 
his plays are going to be more visually interesting because they're more quick twitch. <laughs> some Whereas of those, it's just he gets ridiculous breaks on balls. Some of those Odonis plays are just ridiculous. Oh yeah. As always, probably on opening day, I will once again I tweet out lots of Mets videos. If you are pumped up, I will tweet out the Ballad of Ray Ordonez. Music video by the Isotopes, uh, which has great Ray Ordonez highlights in it. And it's just it, they're just stupid. Like Ligaris, I think you were. It's like Ligaris is a, like a. Garus is like a like a Peter Weir film. It's like beautiful to look at. It's elegant, and Rare Donia's is like a Michael Haneke film, where it just like challenges your viewpoint. Your challenges sort of like your ethos, your view of the world, and like it's just like aggressively like anti audience. Like it just it's almost offensive how good he is and what he does. He's like a provocateur in a way that I don't think Ligaris is. Well, given that I'm quite uncultured regarding cinema, I'll just agree with you. That was like, yeah, that was like film <laughs> studies, film major 101 stuff there I had to reach back on. So good, we're making, we're making good time because we have, like I said, a lot of emails to get through. We will we will touch briefly before we get to the email segment on uh, Cesar Pueyo clearing waivers. I don't think there's a very good chance this would happen because I think you can make a case right now he'd be the second best outfielder in the Phillies outfield. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that I'm sad that the uh, Phillies didn't claim him on waivers. I think he could have helped a number of other teams too. Houston, Chicago, Toronto, Atlanta. I'm um, just name a few off the top of my head. But uh, he'll be out ready to AAA, which means we get to live the Brandon Allen starting over Cesar Pueyo thing all over again for another year. Yeah, somewhere out there, Wally Backman is rubbing his hands maniacally. Another year. I still believe in Cesar Pueyo, though. I tweeted out uh, Easy E's real motherfucking G's <laughs> to all the Pueyo haters on Twitter.com already. I hope he OPS is fifteen hundred down in Vegas, which he could because it's Vegas. It, yeah, it's certainly in play. Um, well, I have another year to look forward to of all the arguments about how he did steroids, and we don't know what he did, and we don't actually know. Nobody if he did has anything. a problem with Danny Mano and Bartolo Colon making this team. No, I probably have to remind people that Dan- Danny Mano got suspended what three years ago, two thousand twelve. Yeah, for using Winastraw, which is an actual anabolic steroid. Which coincided with a power spike in St. Lucie. And look, I don't care. It was three years ago. You know, nobody cares that Michael Morris got busted in the minors. You know, I don't care if Danny Mundell gets busted tomorrow, really. I mean, he probably shouldn't be bad for his career. But <laughs> it's just a non-issue to me at this point. It's a, they have a collectively bargained agreement on what you can do and what you can't, and what the punishments are, and they are what they are. Pretty much. And the stuff that has happened has happened. And that's that. Now we all move on. But why won't you think of the children? <laughs> Specifically, we move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is the Mason Avenue Audio episode 111. Mason Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SP Nation New York Mets site, Mason Avenue. You can find us on the internet, amazonavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mason Avenue. 
join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Steve Sippa. You can follow him on Twitter at Steve Sippa. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. As always, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email is from the non-synonymous J.J. Mack. Hoy Media Big Shot and Other Person. Uh, Steve Schreiber is not on this week's show, J.J. Given Jeffrey's well-established predilections and peccadilloes, I was shocked, dramatic pause, shocked that during last podcast requiem for Zach Wheeler's UCL, there was not even a perfunctory consideration of Henry Mejia's Wheeler's replacement in the rotation. While I realize that this is because there is zero chance of this happening, it was only one short season ago that Mejia and his hair for the ages, R.I.P., won the fifth Mm. starter role out of camp, and this got me wondering, where would you place Mejia the starter in a ranking of the Mets' present starting pitching options. And speaking of pitchers, the recent rash of injuries to the Dodgers pitching staff sent me a pondering once more on the merits of trading Dylan G. Supposing the Dodgers view G as a buy-low insurance policy for their current busted-up crop of pitchers, what kind of return do you think Sandy could pry away from Andrew Friedman? And even if Alderson could exact more than just roster filler or lottery tickets, would you still feel comfortable dealing G, given the recent hit to the Mets' rotation depth? Excelsior, JJ in California. Um, I guess that's bad work by me. I mean, I said, I think when they moved Mejia to the pen last time, like the next time they move Mejia to the pen, he would have to be a bullpen arm permanently. You know, he's already got a history of injury issues. He got beat up by the end of the year just pitching out of the pen. I mean, moving a guy back and forth, as we said at the outset, is a bit of a risk factor. Um, but yes, I should at least have proposed my Mejia... Uh, G piggyback because that's like my thing. That is a thing I do. I mean, it's tough to say if you stretch him back out. You know, would he? I would probably take him over G and Montero still, just because he has a full four pitch mix. It's a little bit tougher to put him over Syndergaard and Mats, I guess. But as a short term option, he wouldn't have been the uh, the worst idea in the world. I do think they're probably less comfortable with. You know, Jay Gers familiar as the closer in that case. I mean, Mejia, despite having the role for a half season, is basically now, by at least baseball edicts, an established closer. True closer. <laughs> he's a true closer. So, he's got that going for him. Um, so, we t- touched a little bit on the, the G trade and what it might look like in episode 110 earlier this week. And I, I'm still... Because they have a little bit of pitching depth and the roster is pretty well set, though at this point they're going to carry 12 bench pieces, or sorry, four-man bench, 12 position player pieces. You know, trading for like a really good fifth bench guy for G might not be the worst idea in the world if you're not sold on Eric Campbell. Um, you know, in that role, maybe one more lefty uh, that you like. I don't know who that is exactly, but. That might be in play now as well as opposed to your you know, lottery ticket, you know, big A ball arm. Which, of course, given my predilections and peccadillos, JJ, I'm always going to be for. 
don't know. I mean, I, I'm still comfortable chilling G because while he is a sure a low end four, high end five starter type, that's just not you know something you need to really. It's, it's something that's easier to find than people think or cobble together. Whether it's Rafael Montero figuring out how to throw strikes again, or Noah Syndergaard and Steven Matz shoving for six weeks in Vegas and punching a ticket that way. Yeah, it, I also think people maybe underrate G's risk a little bit. This is a guy that hasn't been healthy. It was basically good for like a 25-stretch start of his career that everyone keeps tweeting out, try to convince themselves that he'd be better than a 4.00 ERA and a low-offense error in a, a heavily-weighted pitcher's park. But I mean, I'm pretty comfortable trading Dylan G at this point because the Mets seem pretty comfortable trading Dylan G. It's just that nobody wants to trade for Dylan G. <laughs> yeah, I'd have no problem trading him. I would just want a fair return. That's all I would ask. I mean, he's a decent starter, decent back-end starter, uh, you know, a lottery ticket kind of prospect. That just doesn't sit right with me, even though, you know, a lottery ticket could, you know, you could cash in, but... I will point out, too, that the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are probably a little bit lower on the expected win curve this year than the Mets, just traded a better starting pitcher in Trevor Cahill, albeit a more expensive one for mostly salary relief, um, to clear a spot for a very good pitching prospect. Because that's the thing you can do. You can actually not worry about that extra year of service time and just pay the guy if he's still good and healthy six years from now. Well, that's just crazy talk. It is. It's crazy talk. You have to maximize owner profit. That's the point of having a baseball team. Our next email is from Bill. Hey, are you guys doing a podcast this week? Um, I believe this came to me at the end of last week when I was having issues. Getting the podcast up because my computers are terrible. I think this one's going to be up same day, though. Maybe. You'll know because you're listening to it now, and we're recording on uh, Friday night for the record. Mm-hmm. Can you add my question? Will Plowecki replace Darno at some point this year? Thanks. This is good that I kept this back because we just did our catching preview, but I don't think we talked specifically about this question, and I want to frame it this way. You know, Barring injury, which with Travis Darno is always an issue, what would it take? for Plawecki to usurp Darno's position this year? I don't think he does, even if he hits, you know, 400 down in Vegas. Assuming Darno is, is contributing yeah. at the major league level. I mean, they were willing to send Darno down last year when he wasn't hitting. So if he does something similar, do they, and they're in a, play, in a, in a race, do they, do they, I don't want to say panic, but do they just make a, a short-term move like bringing up Plowecki in that spot. Catchers are weird, man. And teams' approaches to catchers are weird. Um, you know, There's value and stability for your pitching staff back there. And Plowecki has caught a lot of these guys, I think, at, at various times. Well, maybe not these guys, but the guys that might be up by the time something like this happens. Um, and you know, he's caught them in spring and stuff, so there's it's, there's some relationship there. You're not just bringing in like a a free agent off the street, but I don't. I know. I believe enough in Darno's bat. I don't think this is really going to be an issue. And if it is, frankly, the Mets have bigger problems. Mm. 
Our next email is from Marco from Italy. I know it's from Italy because uh, Buena Sera, Jeff and Weekly co-host. Actually, interestingly enough, before I read this email, I found out that there's a Paternostro Avenue in Palermo, Steve. <laughs> and it's actually Paolo Paternostro Avenue, but that's, I'm sure, a distant cousin or something. I guess it was like a senator from Sicily. And I know that because Palermo's football team, who I casually follow because my family is originally from there, um, just opened an official team store on Paternostro Avenue in Palermo. Oh, look at that. It is pretty cool. Uh, of course, the funny thing being that the part of my family that is from Palermo is not the Paternostros, my grandmother's side, the Sicas. The, my my branch of the Paternostro family, which I assume is a slightly more common name in Italy than it is here, um, is from Abruzzo in that region, uh, just outside of, I think it's like northeast of Rome, if I recall correctly. But it's very exciting to me. So it's, I feel like I have more of a connection with the Palermo team. I have a couple other shirts at my parents' house somewhere. I'm also not afraid to wear pink. And they, they're they like one of the few teams that has like bright pink as their home uh, shirt, which I've always liked. They're European-Italian, so of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings from northeast Italy, which I assume is not that far from Abruzzo. Probably further north if it's from northeast Italy. I'm a long-time listener and first-time writer. A quick question on the Mets rotation. How would you rate the chance of the Mets going with a six-man rotation from the Super 2 threshold, let's say June 20th, to the non-waiver deadline, so to limit the innings for DeGrom, Harvey, and Nice, at the same time put someone, Bartolo, in the shop window to eventually acquire someone in a position they need? They go with a short staff bullpen comprised of Mejia Familia, the newly acquired Alex Torres, and Black, Parnell, Gilmartin, plus two long men to be able to eat up three innings if needed, like Carlos Torres and Montero or G. Thanks for the work. You put it on the podcast. It keeps me company during my trips on the highways. If you've driven in Italy, I haven't, but I've heard it's a bit of a trip, certainly. Uh, Marco, PSU guys at Foley's on the 11th. We will be at Foley's on the 11th, and if you're coming from Italy, I'm welcome. Let's go. You'll be the man of honor. You will be. You will probably be the farthest person that's ever come to see a live podcast, barring one of our many Swedish listeners showing up. Um, to get back to the question, a six-man rotation. So I guess in this scenario, it's DeGrom, Harvey, Nice, Bartolo, uh, Mats, and Syndergaard, based on the other people named in the bullpen. Um, I, I, you know, My standard sort of response here is I'm against six-man bullpens because all you're doing is taking innings from your best starter and giving them to your sixth best starter, who's usually not a major leaguer. Though in this particular instance, uh, you know, some of the Garden Mats are pitching well in in Vegas, then they're probably quality major league starters. And it is a way to limit Harvey's innings, which is something that's going to happen. Um, we know Nice does better on the extra day's rest, for example. And, you know, for a, for a six-week period of time, it's a way to sort of game Harvey's innings, it might work. I'm not opposed to it. I just don't... I don't see it happening. I think they're gonna... I think, well, one of two things is gonna happen. They're either gonna bide their time with one of Syndergaard and Matt's past the Super 2 deadline, or injuries in this rotation will force the issue before we even get to June 20th. I would bet on that one, actually, if I had to. (laughs) Well, it's thinking outside the box and 
because just thinking outside of the box, it could almost it's all but guaranteed not to happen because major league ball clubs are creatures of habit. Yeah, and I don't see this field staff introducing that. Though I mean the back end of this bullpen could be so bad that <laughs> it makes more sense to carry a six starter. I don't know how they're going to manage the rotation. I did a a brief interview with AM New York yesterday for their like opening day preview and Mr. Fancy over here. Yeah, I know. It's casual name drop because it's, you know, it's AM New York. Um, but and I, I don't think this is the only place I've said this. I think I've said this in, in a few media hits recently. You know, the bread and butter of this team. And we didn't. You know, this is the last podcast before actual Mets baseball. Thank fucking God. But. We haven't done, like, official predictions, because we don't really do that, because I'm just going to throw darts at a board at some number in the 80s for a win prediction at this point, and it's going to be probably wrong. Very likely to be wrong, even within, you know, a two or three win margin of error. That kind of stuff doesn't just... I don't find that exciting. I don't want to you know, predict MVPs and Cy Young awards. It's just not interesting to me. Just let the season play out. Nobody remembers if you're right or wrong anyway. Especially if you're wrong, badly. Um, Especially if you're Adam Rubin. <laughs> but but that's neither here nor there. In broad strokes, I will say that sort of my my go-to line of these media hits, just so I remember what I'm talking about and keep things straight, is that if we're talking about the Mets in a playoff race in August and September, if we're talking about them as a playoff team. It's going to be because of the strength of their starting pitching. That is going to be the bread and butter here. And we saw Matt Harvey spring. We saw Jacob DeGrom spring. You know, even you know, quietly, John Neese looked pretty good. Um, you know, Bartolo's Bartolo. G will make starts for this team until he doesn't. And they have some depth behind him with the young arms. You know, guys that could come up and, and again take a step forward at the major league level. I will phrase it that way. I won't phrase it as going Harvey or Jacob DeGrom. Just be good major league pitchers. And in a kind of the morass of second tier teams in the NL and you know if you want to look at an injured Nationals team with some question marks in the bullpen as well. Yeah sure why not throw that in there. If you want them to be in a playoff race in whatever shape or form that is it's still going to be because the starting pitching is very, very good. Is carrying the teams. And there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, one, it's a potentially, as, you, as all of us well know, a very, very good starting rotation. Of course, the other reason why I think starting pitching is going to be the is going to make or break this team is because. Well, let's be let's be perfectly honest here. They didn't hit a ton last year, and really the only player on their roster different, well, let's say two players on their roster different from last year's team are Michael Kadire, who I think will be good, and John Mayberry Jr., who will probably get too many bats against righties. <laughs> I mean, last year the team, they hit 239, 308, 364, which is good for a 92-weighted runs created plus in Seafield. Are they going to be better than that this year? God, I hope so. 
you know, right should be better. Um, you know, uh, Kadire's an upgrade offensively, certainly, over what they were running out in left field last year. But I don't see them taking, like, a great leap forward on offense. They'll be closer to league average, maybe even league average, top to bottom. Uh, you know, one through eight in the lineup. That's nice. It's an improvement. But, again, it's going to come down to starting pitching. And however you want to manage that rotation, if it means, you know, getting Mats and Syndergaard some extra starts in a six-man, just to, to limit Harvey's innings that way instead of skipping him or using Carlos Torres or a bullpen game here and there, you know, that might be something you want to consider. So far in the future, you can't rule out, you know, anyone being promoted or getting decent chunk of innings in the, the season. The entire team, the entire rotation can be hurt by June 1st, too. So. Yeah, that's knocking on wood here. Our next email is from Liam. Hello, Jeffrey and compatriot. I have returned from my brief stint on the DL from podcast emailing. I guess those, uh, Intercostal strains are going around everywhere. Ugh. I'm back and ready to ask some more subpar questions. After marveling at the amazing <laughs> intro that Rusev had at WrestleMania, can we have Duda come out on a tank? So if you didn't see WrestleMania, and I assume a disproportionate number of our listeners did, um, yeah, Rusev came out on a tank. With like a high-stepping, well, not high-stepping enough Russian military color guard. Like whatever like equity theater actors they got. The they were pretty. Area. They're pretty subpar. Out of step. Yeah, you got to get some serious, like high, blood kicks there. You're supposed to. You got to be method here. You're Russian. And you count on a tank to the Russian like national anthem. It was kind of amazing. I will say WrestleMania. And we'll get to WrestleMania because Steve's in the show, and I probably would have talked about WrestleMania anyway. So it was last weekend. Um, it was an amazing spectacle, and Rusev's entrance may have been the high point in terms of spectacle. <laughs> Either that or have Mejia come out on one. That would be also good. Well, in terms of entrances, he now has a military haircut, which makes me sad. We can never have a Terminator-themed entrance again, nor should Triple H. I, I think I joked on Twitter that it just looked like half of the Terminator costume showed up at the stadium that day, and Triple H just said, ah, fuck it, we'll go with this. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, it was, I don't know what anyone was thinking. He idolizes Arnold Schwarzenegger, so... And it was, you know... Some nice product placement as well. Brand synergy. The new he could have, film. could have picked Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. You know. Holy crap, it was so odd. Now on to real baseball talk. I have to wonder if G can resurrect his old pitch just good enough to win phase. He kind of reminds me of Eddie Harris from Major League. <laughs> Honestly, the parallels between the Mets and Major League over the last few years are kind of sad. I think we... Uh, I, I also made this joke on Twitter, as long as I'm just rehashing my Twitter material throughout this entire podcast. Um, with all the hullabaloo around Jeff, uh, around uh, Fred Wilpon speaking to the team, I think I joked that uh, all he did was go in there and David says we're all fired up now. Like all Fred Wilpon did was go in there and threaten to move the team to Miami. Also, Jeffrey would like to ask you personally to guess how many lefty at bats Duda will get, and then speculate his average. I say 175 at bats and 165 average until Terry pulls him. God, I hope not. Okay, so you can enter any Met player into a triple threat match between Chipper Jones, Ryan Howard, and your chosen player. Who would it be? The player can be from any era. Liam, P.S., also, what is the plus-minus on Rafael Montero starts? Okay, this is a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, plus-minus on Rafael Montero starts. We'll work backwards. I'm going to go with seven. 
Seven seems like a good number. Yeah. I might take the over, but I don't know how... It depends mm. on when G is traded, really. What you're really asking me is to pick a, a G-traded date. Or somebody getting injured. Well, let's not even think about that. Yeah. Okay, so you can enter any Mets player into a triple threat match. Steve, who's it going to be? Turk Wendell. It's got to be Turk Wendell. That is a good choice. I mean, I imagine his wrestling style would be something like the, the craziness of Dean Ambrose, the flair of uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, and just the, the dirtiness and the cheating of Ric Flair. See, I, I would see Wendell, maybe it's like the animal tooth necklace, but I see him in more of like a, like a Harper and Rowan type. Right, the, the backwoodsy outdoors. Yeah, yeah, sort of a Wyatt family type. <laughs> Sort of like half Wyatt family, half Bruiser Brody <laughs> kind of thing going. He's been on my mind lately, since so I've been listening to the uh, the Mountain Goats new album, Beat the Champ, which is all wrestling-themed all week, basically, and he has a song about Bruiser Brody. I listened to the ballad of uh, Chavo Guerrero. Very good. The whole album, really good, is, is top <laughs> to bottom, is kind of amazing, if you're a wrestling fan or if you're a Mountain Goats fan. And I am both, so it's just like right in my sweet spot. There's no denying it. Um, Turk Wendell, very good choice. I would probably go with... I mean, I guess Tim Tuffle technically lost that bar fight in <laughs> in Texas, wherever it was in 86. So I think mean, that's not a good choice. I would say... I mean, you want someone physically intimidating. And I guess Anthony Wrecker's too pretty. He's very much like a glammed-up territorial babyface. I think I've said this before. He doesn't quite cut it. You want if you're going with Chipper and and Ryan Howard, you want you want a killer. You know, you want that. I like that's why I like the Turk Wendell pick, sort of that Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen type. And the Mets don't really have like a Stan Hansen type that I can think of offhand. Wendell probably would have a good lariat. It's true. I mean, Burdak would have the you know the promo. He could carry the promo end of it. Certainly. <laughs> but I don't think he's just not physically imposing enough. I'm trying to think of, like... The Mets are kind of lacking those sort of, like, man-mountain players. There's Vic Black, who I think lives that role. Yeah, Vic Black's a big dude. In the beard. Bobby Parnell and his beard. Yeah. We can't just pick good beers here, though. I feel like well, we, we, need right. a, we need a little more. A little more verve. I guess Nolan Ryan would be closest to the Stan Hansen type. That's true. But he's probably a little too old now to pull that off. I think even <laughs> '90s Nolan Ryan could have. Uh, he could still could kick have, Robin Ventura's ass. Right, exactly. So he could have handled Chipper Jones and Ryan Howard pretty easily. Ricky Henderson would be fun, but I don't associate him enough as a Met. He's got to carry the Met banner here. Ooh, maybe Lenny Dykstra. He would be a scrappy fighter. Like Lenny Dykstra, I think, is closer to the Dean Ambrose ideal yeah, here, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, prime Lenny Dykstra, though. I guess we should specify it should probably be, like... A player can be from any era, he said, but I think we should pick somebody, like, sort of in their physical prime. And Lenny Dykstra might be the way to go. So good shout for Turk Wendell, I like that.
So how many lefty at bats will do to just too many? It's going to be too many. <laughs> like I understand. I uh, I'll say it again. I've said it many times uh, on the podcast throughout the spring. I mean, it's great they have Mayberry and Kadir to sort of be due to caddies, but you, you can never get in like late inning pinch hitters. You can never guarantee they're not. I mean, they're going to face same-handed pitching at some point. You can't completely eliminate those at bats. They came pretty close with Kirk last year, and that should be the model for Duda, frankly. But it's just, it's going to be too many. He's going to start against lefties. You know, he had 111 at-bats last season against lefties. Yeah, I don't think I'll get to 175 then. Granted, you know, he first couple of weeks he was splitting time with Ike. But, eh, 140? It's too many. And I think I'll hit like 200, 250, 320. I mean, he's not hideous against lefties. He's just unplayable. And the thing is, even if Duda improves against lefties, let's say you know, Kevin Long has actually made a skill improvement with Duda against lefties. Like, what's the ceiling here? Is he going to be a 715 OPS guy against lefties? Still probably shouldn't start that guy over John Mayberry. No, I mean, his numbers against lefties are just ridiculous. You're still even... With the sort of vagaries of small sample size, looking at probably at minimum like a 100-point OPS difference over 150, 200 at-bats, that's not insignificant. That's something you should be chasing. Uh, we talked about sort of Jill and G pitching just good enough to win. It was like 25 starts, and it did happen. And it's a, a large enough chunk of his career that he's going to, you know, sort of carry on as a fifth starter. But... I mean, I hope that happens, because the Mets could certainly use it to happen, but I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. Right, WrestleMania entrances. For, I mean, I I do think... I know the Mets, like, bullpen car or whatever just sold at auction for, like, $115,000, <laughs> and I would have bought it if I had $115,000 lying around. I would have driven that shit to work. Um, but I do think there's a... Baseball is very conservative by nature, but I think there's a certain amount of sort of verve allowed for your closer entrance. I mean, not maybe at the level of, like, Mariano Rivera coming through the stands at Yankee Stadium and crushing beers with Yankees fans. <laughs> well, I understand man plays. Which is a reference, again, a disproportionate ah. amount of our listenership will probably get. Well, this is on Bar Avenue. Audio, so... Um, you know, I mean, he is, of course, the logical one because he already sort of has that you know he's got the stomp he's got the flair doesn't have the hair anymore sadly but I could see a big I don't like coming out of the tank but it's completely there it's completely impossible just based on architecture but I like to see Mejia you know lowered from the rafters Mm. I think he could pull that off Our next email is from John. This show's going much faster than I thought it would. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And I got a series of emails from John. This one is from about a week ago. Hey guys, with Darno, DeGrom, and Decker, the Mets have three players whose last names start with a lowercase d. It's got to be some kind of record. It is. It is. I did the research. You did? Two days yes, later. Okay, now the Mets are down to Darno and DeGrom. This seems like a more reasonable number of lowercase d's. Still more than most teams, though. It 
ties the record. <laughs> yeah, so Steve did actual research for this. Thank you, Steve. The 1988 Kansas City Royals had Luis De Los Santos and Jose De Jesus. That is real fucking content for our podcast <laughs> listeners. That is uh, breaking with tradition. <laughs> Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There have been twelve major league baseball players that had a lowercase D. All right, you're just on baseball reference now. Well, not I, earlier this morning, mm-hmm. but yes. And right, Luis next. De Los Santos and Jose De Jesus were the only ones to play together. 1988. So Neither one from had tied partic- for second now. Yes. I don't think they have any other lowercase Ds in their organization. That's. Uh, I didn't start yeah. digging through the minor yeah. league records. That's, okay. that's, that's a little okay. much. Fine. Yeah. But that's dedication. I, I love our listeners. Our next email is from Michael. Hello, Jeff, minus Rob, plus Greg, actually plus Steve. Does the fact that the Mets are even entertaining extending Duda, past the existing three years of control he's already under, suggest that they've recently grown dubious of Dom Smith? His physical conditioning seems to be an issue. And despite his assurance during an interview shortly after the season ended saying that he would take advantage of the new facility in Port St. Lucie, I don't believe he attended the Barwis program, and I couldn't help notice his midsection looking a little convexed. That's not a scouting term, but we, we get it. This spring training during one of the SNY games. Secondly, do you think the Mets' strong spring and recent trades, combined with the Mets, the Nats' depth issues and growing injury concerns, suggest to you that the NL East is more wide open than most originally thought? fan as always, Mike. Uh, we'll get this out of the way. The Lucas Duda extension, if it does happen, and I think if it doesn't happen this year, it'll happen at some point in the future, um, has absolutely nothing to do with Tom Smith. No. And nothing you said there, Michael, about Tom Smith is necessarily wrong, but um, you know, in all likelihood, Tom Smith will spend all of 2015 in Port St. Lucie, spend all of 2016 in Binghamton. Again, he could hit his way out of either of those levels. We take a step forward, and at least a chunk of 2017 in Las Vegas. Uh, now that covers the three years of control that you mentioned. But there's no nothing wrong with you know a deal similar in structure to the Lagaris one that gives you some flexibility to to turn those free agent years into option years. Uh, give you some options if Donald Smith doesn't pan out or if he gets hurt or if you need to package him in a deal for a piece somewhere else along the way. Three years is a very, very long time uh, in baseball terms. Now that said, um, I don't really see the need to look to extend Duda at this point, Steve. Oh, He's had one very good year. Well, one and a half very good years. I mean, again, it's kind of like the Lagara situation where you're going for for cost certainty in arbitration before he has another big season that just you know sets the bar a little bit higher than you like. And the kind of player that he is, he hits a lot of home runs. Right. In I mean, theory, he, hits, he gets a lot of RBI. If he hits uh, 260 with 30 bombs and 90 RBIs again this year... Um, you know he's going to go probably jump from four million to eight million, six seven, yeah. yeah. So, um, and at that point, but again, he's twenty nine. So you're you're going to guarantee his twenty nine, thirty, and thirty one season for some cost certainty, sure. Um, he's only had one good season. 
he has the vaunted Bill James old player skills. So it's possible he could go, you know, he got some comps to Jason Kubel coming up. He could go off a cliff pretty fast in his early 30s. Now he's guaranteeing, you know, some arbitration year contracts are going to kill this team. Again, even with the financial restrictions, we have to always sort of keep on the periphery of these discussions. No, it's not, and it doesn't give you the flexibility to non-tender him either, but there's certainly a trade-off there. Because again, if he does hit 30 bombs again this year, you're looking at you know, maybe close to $20 million in an arbitration award uh, for 2016 and 2017. That's, I mean, again, you're talking about a, a couple million here, a couple million there. You might save uh, in guaranteed money, but I don't know. It's not It's not a priority for me, certainly. Right. If if it happens, cool. But it's not something that I'm waiting for, hoping for, or would be disappointed if it doesn't happen. Yeah, and it's it's, not, it's just not a priority. And it's not something that has anything to do with Dominic Smith. No. I mean, there's just it's it's too far away to you know, it's like saying the Juan Ligaris extension has anything to do and it's it's isn't entirely fair, but actually Nemo is not a good example because they think the Juan Ligaris extension has anything to do with like Champ Stewart. It just doesn't. You just don't know what that player is going to be in three years. Now, it's a little different in that situation because there are other outfield positions where, you know, Dominic Smith is only playing first base and Lucas Duda is only playing first base. And but, shortstop. <laughs> and shortstop. But it's not a... Uh, it's not an issue for me, and, and Smith's conditioning issues such as they are, are are separate from this as well, I think. Secondly, oh yeah, so getting to the... Is the least more wide open than most originally thought? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it wide open? <laughs> Probably not. No, I don't think that the Nationals are going to be like, you know, a 100-win juggernaut team, but I think that a lot has, has to go wrong for them, for, you know, either the Mets or the Marlins to get a whiff of winning the division. Like some catastrophic injuries and you know, really, really bad luck. Our next email is from Ben. And the uh, title of the email is Shortest Email Question Ever. <laughs> when will Syndergaard be called up? You may call me Benjamin. Well, I'll give you the uh, shortest answer ever. June 23rd. Which is also, I don't want to pick that as my wedding anniversary. But I'm trying to pick something after the theoretical Super 2 deadline. Yeah, I mean, any date, to, you know, any date after the Super 2, really. Depends, I guess, on injuries or if there's trades. And our final email is from Rob. This is way too... I did not anticipate going through everything this quickly. Well, that's right. I have a lot to say. Yeah, yeah we know. So, so our last email. <laughs> I have time to mix myself another drink while this is going on, probably. <laughs> Dear Baseball String Pullers, Hope you and your families had a happy, safe, blessed WrestleMania season. How long will it be before the Wilpons go full McMahon and embrace their heelishness? Alleged sexual harassment, forcing players to pay for their own training over the winter, pushing Harvey's first start back in an admitted cash grab. That is what's best for business, Steve. It is. 
These all seem to be leading somewhere. It seems like only a matter of time before Fred Wilpon screams into the PA system, Terry Collins, you're fired. I guess I should do that. I, I don't know. I can't do a good McMahon. Can you do a decent McMahon? Uh, probably not on the phone. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't, like, call up the... Like an audio cue. There's got to be an MP3 of that somewhere. Maybe I'll find it. Maybe I won't. And yes, for the purpose of this <laughs> comparison, Jeff Wilpon is a Stephanie McMahon. That is not fair to Stephanie McMahon. She has turned herself into a fairly good television heel. She really is. Jeff Wilpon is more like... John Laurinaitis. I was going to say late attitude era like Briscoe and Patterson. Inept, yes. Yeah. My question is, once the Wilpons, Wilpons admit they are heels... What current or former Mets do you expect to jump out of the crowd to stand against their reign of tyranny, Rock slash Ronda Rousey style? If you didn't see WrestleMania, I mean, it's worth seeing for the spectacle, but there was a whole sequence where Rock brought a UFC fighter Ronda Rousey out of the stands to beat up Stephanie McMahon and Triple H, who did the rare double bump off the judo throw, which was pretty <laughs> impressive, and sold more, I think, in that for that than he sold in the entire Sting match, so... If you could phrase your response in the form of a wrestling promo, I'd really appreciate it. Till all are one, Rob. So I am going to uh, defer to Steve Sifu, who has prepared material for this. Oh yes. All right. So at first, I was thinking uh, some uh, a promo along of you know Mejia Madness, but then I got an inspiration. So just to set the scene here, it's a 70 degree June evening. The Mets are just shut out uh, by the opposing team, and Steve Jobs is uh, at the dugout interviewing the opposing pitcher. So, uh, Steve Jalb says, you know, guys, I'm here with the winning pitcher of the night, R.A. Dickey. R.A., do you have any comments about your performance tonight? R.A. Dickey says, <clears throat> yes, I do, Steve. Matt Harvey, while you stand there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you can possibly be, I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this, because before I leave in three games with my National League Saw Young Award, I have a lot of things I need to get off my chest. I don't hate you, Matt. I don't dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in that clubhouse. I hate this idea that you're the best, because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. If there's one thing that you're better at than I am, that's kissing Sandy Alderson's ass. <clears throat> you're as good as kissing Sandy Alderson's ass as those guys at Amazing Avenue are. I don't know if you're as good as David, though. He's a pretty good ass kicker. Kesser always is and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I'm the best pitcher in the world. I've been the best since day one when I pitched my way onto this team. And I've been vilified and hated since that day because Omar Minaya saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm an Omar Minaya guy. You know who else is an Omar Minaya guy? Jose Reyes, and he split just like I'm splitting. But the biggest difference between me and Jose is I'm going to leave with the National League Cy Young Award. I've grabbed so many of Sandy Alderson's brass rings that it finally dawned on me that they're just that, completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost three years I've proven to everybody in the world that I'm the best on this mound, in that clubhouse, even on the New York Times bestseller list. Nobody could touch me. And yet, no matter how many times I proved it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I was barely promoted. I didn't get to be in the commercials. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the SNY network. I'm not on the banners on City Field. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of every SNY broadcast. I wasn't on Mike Francesca. I wasn't on Jimmy Fallon. But the fact of the matter is, I should have been. 
this isn't sour grapes. But the fact that Bartolo is penciled in as the opening day starter and I was traded to Toronto makes me sick. Oh, hey, let's get something straight. Those of you who are cheering right now, you're just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones who are sipping from those collector cups right now. You're the ones that brought, bought those banners that my face wasn't on. And then at 5 o'clock in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face and get an autograph to sell on eBay because you're too lazy to get a real job. I'm leaving with the National League Cy Young Award on June 17th. And hell, who knows? Maybe I'll go defend it in Nippon Professional Baseball. Maybe I'll go back to the Pacific Coast League. Hey, Nashville Sounds, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people. Because after I'm gone, you're still going to pour money into this team. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. This wheel's going to keep turning, and I understand that. Fred Wilpon is going to make money despite himself. He's a millionaire that should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? Because he surrounds himself with glad-handled, nonsensical douchebag yes-men like Bernie Madoff, who are going to tell him everything he wants to hear. And I'd like to think that maybe this organization would be better after Fred Wilpon is dead. But the fact is, it's going to be taken over by his idiotic son and his doofus daughter-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Let me tell you a personal story about Jeff Wilpon, alright? We do this whole anti-sexual harassment campaign... That was quite a fight bomb. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't improve on that. Those were your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. I should really just wrap up the show there. I should have actually just cut the mic and played the, uh, mm. the outro. Maybe I'll do that in post. But we will wrap up this week with uh, your weekly IFK Gothenburg update. Last week was the international break, so there's no soccer action in any of Europe's top leagues. But Las of eBay did get uh, two appearances for the Danish national team in friendlies against the U.S. and France. And Gothenburg kicks off their regular season this Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, against... Uh, Vitaberg FF, who uh, our man on the ground Anders informs me is a classic Swedish side, with uh, they were very good in the seventies where they were in Europe with teams like Chelsea, Barcelona, and Bayern Munich. He also clarifies that uh, we, were, we were wondering this a couple weeks ago, but the winner of the Alvenskin does have to go through qualification to get in the Champions League group stage. It's not automatic, and uh, Malmo wasn't it this past year, but they were the first team to do it in quite some time. They knocked out, and he gives a list of teams they knocked out. And I will now pronounce them all pronounce them all poorly. Vent uh, Spills from Latvia, Sparta Prague, and Red Bull Salzburg. Their only win in the group stage was against Olympiakos. So if you, want, if you are the type of person that finds 
soccer on dodgy streams on the internet. There should be one of those available. Uh, this Sunday at 9 a.m. for your weekly Swedish soccer fix. Of course, next Saturday, the 11th, we'll be live at Foley's in Midtown Manhattan at 3 p.m. Apparently we're giving stuff away and I'll have to find more stuff to give away because Eric has promised this for you. So we'll Same Eric that. that won't be there. Same Eric that won't be there because he's having a kid or something. Um, they all care for around 3 p.m. I think it'll be me, Chris, and Greg running some sort of three-man weave. And we'll do the actual proper minor league preview there. I missed out on grousing about Rosario and, and Urania skipping over Savannah, but I think there's a variety of things going on there, which we'll discuss more in depth at Foley's next Saturday. We'll do that. We'll talk to Ted Berg about any interesting small sample sizes the 2015 season has brought us at that point. And we'll answer your emails. And by emails, I mean whatever questions you have for the three of us. Then we'll drink some beer, and we'll watch the Mets play the Braves. And I guess I can do math. It'll be uh, Dylan G. pitching, which isn't that exciting. But it's baseball. It's actual baseball. We're so close. We're so close. That's all I got. Sounds good. In between this and that, we will do an, uh, an episode next week, probably on Tuesday, the Mets off day. I don't know what we'll talk about. Maybe stuff will have happened. Maybe we'll have more emails to answer. There will be Swedish soccer to discuss. And uh, maybe some more wrestling promos. I don't know. To find out, you'll have to tune in next week for more Amazing Avenue audio.